Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Hello, welcome along. It is great to be back. It's great to have you back for Series 2, Episode 25 of the Howie Games. They could help out if they try, try, try. If they would try, try, try. Firstly, to all of you that are out there listening, you're beautiful, you're wonderful, you're magical. Thanks very much for tuning in. So, to the first episode of Series 2, and what a way to get things underway, Catherine Freeman. The majority of Australians aged 30 and over could probably tell you where they were on September the 25th, 2000, because it was the night Cathy Freeman won the 400 metres at the Sydney Olympics. It was an absolutely standout night in Australian sporting history, probably Australian history, full stop really. 112,524 people packed into the Olympic Stadium. The rest of the country watched it live on TV. The build-up to the race pretty much lasted four years, dating back to when Cathy won silver at the previous Olympics in Atlanta. The race itself, it lasted only 49.13 seconds, but jeez, it was a good, really good 49.13 seconds. So it's not every day that you get to sit down and chat with a sporting legend, but that is the greatest thing about Cathy Freeman. She doesn't act like she's a legend or a star or anything special at all, anything but really. As you'll hear, Cathy is incredibly humble. She's down to earth. She's funny. She's, she's really, really giggly. She's unaffected. But most of all, Cathy Freeman is absolutely delightful. As she mentions herself in this episode, Cathy talks about things here that she hasn't discussed before. Some of them are pretty funny, some of them are amazing, and I guess one of them in particular will probably change the historical record of that famous September night, which is really, really cool. On June the 6th, 2017, the Cathy Freeman Foundation celebrated its 10-year anniversary. For everything she did on track, her foundation might be Cathy's greatest achievement. The Foundation's charter is to help Indigenous children and their families recognise the power of education and achieve their goals and dreams. It aims to broaden horizons and inspire Indigenous students to experience their full potential in school and beyond. With 1,600 Indigenous children currently involved, 1,600, it's a fantastic number, the Foundation needs personal donations as well as corporate support. Please jump on their website, kathyfreemanfoundation.org.au, that's kathyfreemanfoundation.org.au, and get yourself involved in any way you can. All right, finally, Series 2, here we go. Enjoy the legend that is Kathy Freeman, OAM. <laughs> So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion I could not be, I honestly could not be more excited to welcome to the Howie Games a lady that I've known for a long time, but haven't seen for a long time. Um, a lot of people know you as Kathy Freeman, but let's get it right from the start. You are Catherine Freeman. <laughs> well, that's on my birth certificate. Is there, Do you prefer Howie or Mark? I prefer Howie. Howie. Uh, only my okay. mum. <laughs> and, and are you Catherine? Do I call you Catherine? You can... Oh, because oh. That, that's your name, but you're always Kathy. I'm used to Kathy. How did Kathy come about? It was something that a journalist just gave me. Bloody journalists. <laughs> See, this is the problem with them. You, uh, them, not us, them. <laughs> so it's Catherine and it's Howie. I think we've got that established. <laughs> Kathy's fine. It was a bizarre yeah. when all of a sudden you became one of the most famous people on the planet and everyone were calling you a name that wasn't your name. 
I think I was so into my running, I didn't care at right. the time. And it suddenly became an issue after I retired. Okay. So, and then, well, hang on a minute. That's my identity. Everyone's, you know, everyone's going on about My name's Catherine and my mother and my cousins gave me a hard time about it. And I'm actually really sorry I brought it up in the, <laughs> brought it up in the first place. It should just stay Cathy now. No, I well, I, yeah, I've always. I think in the past I've called you Kathy, but then always knowing That's in the back fine. of my head it was Catherine. Normally yeah. with these Catherine, we sort of start at the start, which is your early memories. I think yeah. I was thinking about this on the drive up that I think we should start with you where you are now. Okay. Um, and the first thing I want to talk to you about, and we'll go from the front to the back, is your foundation. Okay. And I was right. speaking to your husband James about it, and I've been doing some reading about it. I, I think Thank you. It's a, no, I think it shows you as a person where you are today is a reflection in that foundation. So firstly, tell right. us about your foundation. Let's start there. Yeah. Oh, we're, he- we're heading into our 10th year this year. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit of a, that's a quite a milestone and quite an achievement. Anyone who's in any kind of startup business, it is like a business. It's you know you have your your times when it's really difficult. Yep. And um, but I think it's testament to the passion and the determination of 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 the people that um, you know like that my co-founder, for example, and some. Um, the original, you know, some original board members that are still involved and very passionate. Um, and like even to our newest additions to the team or not so new additions, you know, it's um, the culture and the and the passion and the determination and the fact that we're community led, I think it makes us different to other non-for-profits, especially in the Indigenous space. So we're all about um, empowering, enabling kids, Indigenous kids, from pre-prep through to year 12, um, just realising, giving them an opportunity to realise that potential that enables them to to thrive after school, Howie, so... What was the main so, problems that they're facing that you're trying to help them with, Catherine? Oh, it's, for me, it's like it doesn't matter if I'm talking to a eight-year-old, say, in Palm Island or yep. Warabinda or Warramiyanga or Gullawinku, or um, it doesn't matter if I'm speaking to a 14-year-old aspiring elite athlete. I think the challenge is always going to be just that stuff, that magic stuff that comes from within. Hmm. Like, you know, the the dreaming and the hoping and the aspiring and, and that leads to that point of realising and trying and reaching out for support and, and following your what your heart desires. Hmm. To me, as I said, I don't know you that well, but I've had the pleasure of dealing with you in the past. I would imagine, Catherine, that putting a smile and a bit of hope in someone's life, any kid, um, yes. white, black, pink, purple, green, yep. would mean more to you than Aww. all this other stuff that you're known <laughs> for, I guess. Yeah, a dear, an old dear friend of mine out of the blue, this is Alexander, I visited a friend over in the States and and um, he said, oh, out of the blue, completely out of the blue, because he's got a really sore throat. And he said, oh, okay, so, um, so what makes what makes you so what's the, what makes you so proud? What's mm. your proudest moments of the Kathy Freeman Foundation? And I was just so lost for words, and I was so caught unaware. <laughs> um, but it's always for me. It's always when. A child, when the penny drops and the child realises, oh, my God, I can actually do this and look at the reaction. Like I can actually stand up in front of people and share my 
thoughts or I can actually have the courage to stand up in the first place or or I can have um I can actually do something that I never thought I could do before. It could be something as simple as achieve, you know, get through year twelve mm. or, or make a speech in front of his peers or yep. or yeah, be most improved. So, you know, things like that always choke me up. <laughs> I love seeing the smile on your face when you're talking about it. So the, the, the Kathy Freeman Foundation, the Catherine Freeman Foundation, it, it's yes, obviously going really thank well. You. A lot of people will listen to this in various parts of the world, and some people are in a position to help. If there's mm. one thing that the foundation needs to grow and to continue what it's doing, what would that right. be? Right. Uh, I think it's if, if we're going to talk technically, we're always after more corporate dollars. Right. <laughs> um, but certainly when I speak in a more less in a less technical way, it's yep. more about folks just opening up their minds and their hearts, jumping on our website. Which is? Um the Kathy Freeman Foundation dot com. Yep. Dot um oh sorry, no, I've got that wrong. Dot org. Kathy Freeman Foundation dot org. That mysterious voice in the background is your husband James, who is sitting in My here. Manager, yeah, as well. So yeah. So um but, yeah, just when you get a chance, an idle moment, folks, just getting online and, and learning about the five programs that we're, we offer and um, the personalities that will come come up in the website through <laughs> our photographs and our wonderful quotes. It's not just about data. It's, not a, it's also about, um, you know, there's wonderful stories and the voices of the community of the people that, we, that partner with us, mm-hmm. that we partner with. So it's it's one of the most enriching, most loveliest experiences, Howie. Like you know, when you have um, when you're in a position like mine to raise the profile of of something that you're so passionate about, which for me, generally speaking, was Indigenous achievement. But um, but like to see that to see these kids flour- like thrive and flourish and and just you know with a step in their with a bounce in their step and with that sparkle in their eye and their smiles are bigger than ever i, I tell you i mean these are kids who've uh, had a few you know had to have overcome a few obstacles um so to see them walk tall and proud it's just it's just the nicest feeling ever I, I, knew, I knew I was going to enjoy chatting to you. That's when uh, you and James came back and said you were happy to have a chat. Oh. I've always remembered you as such a, a passionate person. Obviously, you, you haven't lost that. All right, well, you're talking about kids up in in uh, in Palm Island or elsewhere that you've been able mm-hmm. to help. Tell us about the f- young Kathy Freeman. Where, where did you grow up and you as a young uh, yes. girl? Yes, uh, I'm from Mackay, Central Queensland, yep. and that's like pra- uh, between halfway between Cairns and Brisbane for those of you know Queensland or Australia, and 73 point. I'm, I'm not that old. Same as me, 73. Oh, okay. We're getting a touch old just quietly. It's, it's, so, it's almost mid-40s now, Catherine, which is frightening. I know. It's not, mid- no longer just 40, is it? <laughs> no, um, but I still feel like I'm feeling still so silly and like that little girl yep. that grew up in Mackay. I'm one of five kids. Yep. Uh, my mum, my mother is one of 11. My father's one of seven. So you can imagine. Your mum's one of 11. You can imagine wow. that there's a lot of activity, yeah, a lot of <laughs> uh, tropics, beautiful outdoor lifestyle, casual. Rugby league was the language that brought everyone together, both junior rugby league as well as in the seniors. Oh, your dad was a pretty good rugby my bra- league player. My dad was very good and H- his he father. Up there. He did actually. He did. What's his name? Um, Norman. Right. Uh, 
I um, ran my first race as a five-year-old in Mackay. My f- and uh, Mrs Evans was the first lady who kind of grabbed me and took me under her wing. What, how'd your first race go? <laughs> what was it? What distance was it? It wasn't 100. I think it was 60 metres because the, the we didn't have that much space at St Joseph's. Yep. And so they had to shorten it up a bit. <laughs> I think it was 60 metres. I'm pretty certain. And what's your memories because of that day and that race? I was barefoot yep. and there's lots of, if you know the tropics of Queensland, there's big elephant grass. So it was a humid day. Thank you. That's an MJ, uh, MJ, star thank producer. You. He's just brought in uh, a coffee. Which I thought my husband was getting, but anyway. No, no, no. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. So it, it's, it's a humid day. You've got no shoes yeah, on. Yeah, and I just, I remember running late for the race with my bus friend because we used to catch the bus to school and my mate, he was my mate, Troy, um, a placid guy, him and I were both running late for the start of the races and I remember, well, a couple of memories actually, um, wanting to go and hide in the toilets and getting pulled out of the toilets to go to the start of the race. You didn't run a run or you were nervous? Just shy, just really unsure and some things don't change. Being (laughs) shy. I'll I'll always be the one out of the limelight. Well trying to avoid it I should say. Yeah, good luck with that. Come Sydney two (laughs) thousand, but we'll get to that. (laughs) Exactly. So you're hiding in the toilet. (laughs) Mrs. Baldry Yeah, thank God for pushy teachers, I say. Right. We need pushy, mad, passionate teachers. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and, um, yeah, a couple of memories of hiding in the toilet, um, getting told to go to the race, um, won it, so... You won? Yeah, I won, I won. One so from I'm one. Get, I'm getting a bit confused because there was another race where I actually ran into a fence. Oh. And ended up running this race with one eye <laughs> closed. So, could have been the following year. Anyway. Did you win that one as well? Yeah, I won a lot, Howie. Right. I won. I was I was a kid to watch uh, and who, in terms of athletics. And who was providing you with um, the first person to oh, provide yeah. you with some direction in yeah. that in that area? I guess. Well, I guess in athletics specifically, it wasn't. It was probably my stepfather right. who I called Blue Eyes. Um, That's what you called him, Blue Eyes, Bruce Blue Eyes, okay. beautiful Blue Eyes. And he's no longer with us, rest in peace. <laughs> um, but he was the one who, when I was at the age of 10, said, Catherine, um, you know, you can you can do this. You can do this. And in, um, he made me put up on my wall, I'm the world's greatest athlete. Um, but c- certainly general. As a, as a 10-year-old? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, we were living in a place called Mara in central Queensland, which is coal, cattle. It's a real agricultural cotton area. Yeah. Uh, and sport, you just don't realise how huge it is until after you retire sometimes. Mm. <laughs> but certainly the support. I was really lucky. I just always had uh, my stepfather. Um, but even before I turned 10, the, the teachers at my first school were wonderful. They um, helped to raise funds because my family, especially before my mother married my stepdad, yep. um, you know, I remember ra- helping to raise funds for tickets and uniforms to go and compete in Brisbane. So there wasn't a great deal of money from the family no, to put forward to that? No, not right. at all. So I didn't know it at the time. You just, I, the you don't, kids as a kid, don't do know, you? yeah. No, everything just turns up. Everything and away just you go. rocks up, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, no, no, it was definitely Bruce, Bruce Barber. So. 
So you're going through school, you've got family and friends, and you moved around a lot. Oh, I, a lot. I read your book, Born yes. to Run, which is a great book. I and love that book. Thank you for been, mentioning. Well, it's been pointed out to me that Bruce Springsteen has since ripped off the name and used it on his book. So uh, James, as your is manager, needs to maybe, maybe start suing Bruce Springsteen <laughs> and sorting <laughs> that out. I wouldn't mind having his attention. No, no. He's Conversation going okay. music, yeah. So you start to progress. How old are you at this stage? 11, 12? When's running becoming, you've got I'm the world's yeah. greatest athlete on the wall. When is it in your mind thinking, okay, well, this is maybe something I could do? Well, I, I believe it started from the very first race I ran. Did it? Because I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I felt happy. I felt happy. I felt felt free. I felt like untouchable. I felt, I just felt like I could do anything when I ran. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I just felt free. I think that's the key thing. I felt, I just felt like my feet weren't even touching the ground. (laughs) Yeah. I felt like, um... Happy, just real happy, really, so, really happy. So it wasn't a hard thing. It was a, it, like the title of your book. You you were born to run. It was. I was. I'm pretty certain I was born to run because when I when I look back over those years in the latter years, you put your body through some pretty grueling stuff, mm. like training twice a day. Um, you know that physical physical, you know, impact it has on your body, well, that's one thing. But then the separation from family, you know, you've got a young girl. If she decides to think of taking up running up seriously, here's a few things for her to think about. Like turning into an elite athlete requires those sacrifices, like time away from your family, your friends. There's not hardly any social life. Um, And even there is no room for new friends (laughs) because... You have to put yourself in a bubble and you have to be, be really disciplined and, you know, eight hours of sleep, no alcohol, no high heels, massage, huh. you know, I could go on. But but I I loved it, Howie. I loved it. I wasn't too bothered by what I needed to do. I just wanted to do it. And those around you, your, your brothers and your sisters and your mum, you mentioned your, yeah. your stepdad, were they starting to get on board this journey with you? I didn't know at the time. I think my mother was a real, gave me some really, <laughs> I won't, I know I'd say what I was thinking, but she certainly gave me some tough love. Right. And I think. In relation to life or sport? I think both. I think both. I think, I think people as adults around me could see that I had something, to be frank, I had something really special mm. and, uh, and this something special could really change my life my future you know we've we've got kids and you know you sort of I have no doubt that when my little girl gets to a point where she may discover something that may change her future or has something special it's going to be really hard not to want to nurture that but I'm I was or push it even um but I was lucky in that I listened to people around me and um, Mum obviously was the first one to say Catherine, and she put my late sister t- up as as the example of, well, what if you were like your older sister who had severe cerebral palsy and right. and Marie, right. and she uh, had to be put in a into professional um, care full time when my youngest brother was born. So I was about it was I was around about four or five. Yeah. And so my mother obviously was still 
can't imagine having to do that with a child. So, so you um, go, what would you go and visit her? Or she, oh, absolutely. She was somewhere else? Somewhere else. Absolutely. Okay. Within driving range from home, where, wherever wow. we lived, except for a few years when we lived up in the top, up in the bush desert areas of far north Queensland. But, um, but she said, look, Catherine, if you've got this God-given talent... Um, you know, you've got your this bigger sister who who can't walk or talk or sit up, let alone feed herself, and all of this and that, and and that was tough for a kid. It's tough for a kid to um, hear it. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, but I've I I kind of something in me, something um, there was a shift, and all of a sudden it became there was my purpose, I suppose, Howie and your sister was your purpose. Yeah, she gave me meaning. She gave me. Um, she just her story just changed, and it still does. Continues to very much shape my character and define is a huge part of who I am. Absolutely. So I, I was that was the first big oh wow <laughs> sort of that's intense a big wow. moment. That, that, yeah, I can see now. <laughs> As a I kid, can, and I can see even James watching on that. That is a, oh. an intense moment. So. You've got that in the back of you to push you and motivate yes. you, and I yes. guess the little bird was kicked out of the nest at some stage. You did you go to? Did you have to go to a? Was it a private school you went to? You headed. I went to. A, I went to two boarding schools. The first one was um, a, a Presbyterian all girls school in Toowoomba. Right. I was fifteen, fourteen or fifteen. I can't remember exactly. Shock. Oh yes. Fancy uniform and. Oh, I remember. Um, Getting dropped off a score, yeah, and we came, and we came driving down the driveway, and this driveway is lined with massive big palm trees and you know immaculate lawns and <laughs> tennis courts. And, okay, <laughs> and um, we've come in and we've got our beat up Kingswood, you know. <laughs> <laughs> The Kingswood, <laughs> not the Kingswood. <laughs> anyway, we get to the end of the driveway to the buildings and. You see Jaguars and <laughs> BMWs and there was Rolls and I didn't know what it were, what they were at the time, but wow. I sure knew, <laughs> figured out pretty quickly, right. you know, how different this world sure sure was, you know. And so how'd you deal with that? Ah, uh, I I'm the sort of person you probably won't be surprised by this. I'm pretty relaxed. You think? Generally, <laughs> that is a fairly good description of you. Always and, never looking like you're out of first gear. And, well, yeah. I have my moments, obviously, when I'm out of first gear. Yes. <laughs> like 48 um, seconds worth and then straight back to first gear. Oh, yeah. Or when the kid looks like she's going to get hit by a truck or yep. something when, you know, they run away. But, um, but yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was, this was Australia and this was the side of Australia. I had never, or even a side to life that I'd never even seen before. And I, because, because my nature is, my parents had said, Catherine, um, this is where we want you to be. This is where the best coaching is. At the time, Glenis Nunn's coach, who was who was an Olympic champion for heptathlon. Heptathlon, yep. Her coach was was residing in Toowoomba. I was there to be coached by him. And so I, like, a lot of things are, are very much like water off my a duck's back with me. I kind of... I know what I need to do. I know what I want to do. And so I kind of just move through it. It's really quite, again, I don't know why I'm not affected more, Mm. (laughs) but I am affected in a way that stays with, the things stay with me and it's always, 
adds to the story, which is nice, you know. But um, but I very much even back then, Howie was very, um, very very happy to be on this path of exploration towards running and running and being one of the best runners I could be. It was it's quite astute for a young girl, but you know, kids have it in them, which is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about my foundation. Because people have this stuff in them. Absolutely. Just don't, just because some kids are quiet or, you know, just seem a bit distant, you just never know. So you become a, a good runner. You're not a great runner yet. Uh, you're great for your age. But you went to, did you go to a Commonwealth Games when like I was a three-year-old? I was, you were, what, you're 16, weren't 16. you or something? Your first Commonwealth Games? I was Games? 16. How'd you find yeah. that out? How did you get a phone call or a letter or I what happened? Or was it just a time? Or? <laughs> yeah, I do remember. 16, Catherine. <laughs> I was named in the, in the I think it's a Courier Mail in Brisbane. Okay. And my mother found out about it first and she was just... So that, that's how you find out that you've made your first Yeah. Reading yeah. It in the paper. Yeah, you read about it. Yeah, it was in the newspaper. And I remember I was sleeping in my brother's room on the top bunk and I woke to some sort of commotion and my <laughs> mother's voice was heightened loud and... Uh, and yeah, that was the reason why, because her kid had made the, the senior to the senior team and so... And how was that then, to you? Was that right? I've made it, or that's a step in the journey, or I can't believe it, or what was your approach to that? I didn't think too much about it. I was just again go with the flow, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've always been really in the present, like mm. in the present. Like I probably was more <laughs> interested in having what deciding what I was going to have for breakfast that day. You know, <laughs> you do not <laughs> like. Because I think in the back of my mind, I just, when I ran, I just, that part was the safest part of my life. It's so strange. So it, that, yeah. those Com games, were, were they in Auckland? Auckland right. Yeah. Um, which they turned out pretty well. Well, we won the gold medal. Well, that's pretty well. In the, that's like, It's pretty good. That's, that's pretty, pretty good. good. So it was in the real <laughs> But I, yeah, it was, and I ran the third leg. Yep. As a 16-year-old and... And, you know, that environment, wow, you know, flying to New Zealand and, you know, I was with the, you know, big kids now. <laughs> I'd hit the big time and sort of. And, um, yeah, and, you know, all my family were really chuffed about it and my mad Romanian coach knew it was going to happen. He foresaw, huh. you know, you're going to be signing autographs one day. And He told you that? Yeah. Oh, As yeah. A, at what age did he tell you that? Oh, when we first met. Right. Yeah. And he did was... you think, what's his chap's name? <laughs> Mike, Mike Danilla. Right. Uh, he, he, his Romanian name is Mikhail. Right. And he told so... you, you'll be signing autographs and you'll be a star. And what yeah. do you think? I just didn't really, again, think too much about it. I mm. just look, remember him doing it. And because he's like, you know, some people are like watching a movie. <laughs> he's like overanimated and he's overexcited and, you know, when he, when he talks to you about doing drills and running, bang, 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 you know, everything's animated and, okay. you know, on fast forward. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he was really confident. He was very confident about my potential, when it came to my potential as an athlete. Talking about you as an athlete, I've spoke to a few people in the last couple uh, of days. Uh, one, no one including <coughs> Tiffany Cherrier. Oh, a, I love her. was She's very close to friends. you and still is at the yes. time. And she was... She used to train with you, and I said, yes. well, "Was Kathy one of those standout athletes on the training track?" And she said, "She never met someone that hated losing 
as much as you and it didn't matter really? if it was a drill or a race or she said you hated, detested is the word she used to me, detested losing. Losing, yeah, doesn't, not not, not really something I like to uh, acquaint myself. Oh. <laughs> I know this is, if there's one thing you want to really get under my skin about, it's probably that topic. Not interested, never was interested. In losing? No. No, I didn't, I, I absolutely detested it. I absolutely didn't fear it, but I absolutely hated it. What did you hate was, about it? Oh, Howie, now you're asking the right questions, mm, my oh, friend. It's taken me 28 <laughs> minutes to finally get a good one out, you're trying to say, Kat. <laughs> I just, I don't know. No one should be able to, I'm just not interested in it. Just not, I don't like it. I don't <laughs> What is it? Because it's not so much about what people think of me because that's not who I am. No. It's not. So, it's more about the things that I stand for and where I'm from, I suppose. Explain that to me. Like, you know, I didn't just run for my own self-satisfaction. Yeah, sure, it gave me great satisfaction. But I, it, you know, when you do something well... I, for me, I like to do it for with purpose. It's a sort of an all or nothing kind of approach. And so whenever I did anything or chose to do, whether it was making a choice or decision or action that I did, it wasn't just about me. It was about my late sister. It was about my family. And everyone knows that I, my stance on being Indigenous and, and I'm one of these types who, whether it's due to my culture or not, I've always um, had a, a, a connection to my ancestors as well. So it's I've always gotten my power from those insp- sources of inspiration. However, I don't know. It's a bit, it's a bit out there, but well, it's, it's who you, I am. Yeah, it's yeah. who you are. So I, and why <laughs> I hate it to. Where do you get competitive spirits from? Um, and this hatred of losing, I can only put it down to the fact that I could only turn to my late sister's story. Right. Like, I, t- I, I took it personally that she was unable to do the things like stand up or walk. I mean, it hurts. It really hurts. And so if I lost, I felt like we were all losing. It's just this really... It's a bit strange. It's a powerful motivation. Yeah. So, so what? what, so, what yeah, let's take you back to a race you've just lost. Say you've just been beaten across the line. <sighs> you know, I could choose. There's not many races because you didn't get beat very often. There are a few. They're, they're in there. So, so what <laughs> What happens then after you've been beat? Don't come anywhere near me. Right. Um, the coach might hesitate. The coach will know, like Fort was my coach and my training partner's People in my Gary Maritas, who know, knows me very well, is one of my dearest friends to this day, and he he could he was probably the only person who could come near me because I had to get a massage yep. in order to just get healthy, stay healthy, stay fit. Um, but yeah, no, it's best to stay away from Freeman right now. <laughs> yeah, because I really <sighs> just. It's never been something that I've been able to live with very well. I don't respect the notion, even the notion of losing. I, right. And I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure why, I'm, why I was so competitive. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let, let's use a specific then. You, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll skip forward a bit in your timeline. Let's go to 96 in Atlanta. 
Um, you've you've had success. You've won Commonwealth Games gold medals individually before yeah. this, which I probably shouldn't skip over. But now that it comes Do up, what you want, yeah. Marie Jose Perec. That correct, yeah. Wow, we'll get to the build-up in Sydney, but she was tall and powerful and <laughs> she, strong, and oh, she beat you in Atlanta. Incredible athlete, yeah. So you're you've just become an Olympic silver medalist. Yes. Is this a win or a loss for you? More of a loss. More of wow. a loss. Yeah, because you take losing badly. <laughs> Well, because, again, ah, look, I just sometimes, if when I look back at that race, I, I see a hesitant person in the home straight. You know, when you watch competitors, you see that they're just giving everything, they're throwing everything into this performance. Yeah. But I look back at that, at that, um, that footage and I see someone who's still a bit, Hesitant. She's not quite fully engaged in her full belief, in her full conviction. Okay. And like I, it's interesting. Um, and I am not a sore loser, not by any stretch of the imagination. I just, I just, it's just an observation, you know. Maybe, yeah. I'm still gracious in defeat. I was happy to run a personal best time, and and there are other decorative words around that race. But um, so when you're there getting your silver medal at the Olympics, it's still lovely. I've I, I I was just a bit annoyed. I just I just, I just get a bit annoyed. Um, but Perek's an incredible athlete. Oh my gosh, she's legs. Oh, six foot tall. What about the legs on her? Oh my god, her you used body. To look, you used to look half her size. Oh, if you were I looked like Catherine. a kid. <laughs> you did. I could have been a child. <laughs> you did. You did. But no, she's wonderful. It's just I, I'll, I'll always. Yeah, I'll never say, you'll never hear me disrespect that girl. So let's talk about the four-year period from there to Sydney. Yeah. What, what happens that you've already, you've won individual medals at the Commonwealth Games, oh, yes. you become a world champion. Yeah. I, I um, it was that following year actually, Howie, in 97. Yep. Um, I nearly didn't go because I had a personal I had a bust up with a boyfriend, and so that all sucked. This is for as world young champs. people say these days. This yeah, is for it sucked. <laughs> yeah, it sucked. This is before the old shining uh, night here. James <laughs> rolled in on his horse. And... Oh yeah, this was when I was all over the shop, really right. romantically. Anyway, but um, and uh, so I nearly didn't go to those world championships, Oof. and that's when you can tell a lot about a, a competitor is when they're feeling not so strong and they keep going like I I um but I want that's right I won my first world title and there were all kinds of oh that was in Athens okay I believe you beat Perec she didn't go right in fact it wasn't until 2000 we or even 99 we got to see a bit more of Perec okay but I honestly believe that she she'd won three Olympic titles so she didn't really have much more to prove I think she um, lost a lot of hunger between 96 and 2000, um, whereas I certainly had plenty of it. Um, so the, when you're presented as world champion, is that yes. to you uh, another step or is that, wow, well, I'm a bloody superstar now and I am sorting autographs because I'm the best in the world? <laughs> I think it's very, it's very, very good to be a world championship, world champion, there's no doubt. Yep. Obviously, there's a nice ring to it. Mm. I mean, there was always a piece missing in that Perec wasn't there, but it, I guess it doesn't matter. You can only race who you, who you can race. And and the lovely thing about being a world champion is that it sends out a message to the, your other competitors, so that's always important, that psychological dynamic. Um, so it's, it's just... 
in that moment, I felt really, um, I had my belief in myself grew a stack because my f- preparation wasn't great. I had turmoil off the track. I nearly didn't go, you know, and it was just wasn't the ideal preparation. That um, so it really came down to well, do I really want to do this or not? Mm. And thankfully, again, like that child, I, I I listened to the right people, and that person at the time was Murray Plant, and who you Famous may know, long term yeah. operator in yes. uh, Australian athletics, yeah. world athletics. Let's be honest. Absolutely. Oh yes. And um, he said he came around in my place one day, and we had the, uh, we basically had a really big heart to heart, and told me what he thought, which is what he's good at doing. <laughs> what did he think? Um, he Yeah, he was the one who basically picked me up back up, up off the ground and said, come on, Freeman, we got a, you got a world title. He, he believed in me. Mm. So when I sort of, um, I really, yeah, I was not in a healthy place. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by athletes about training. Yeah. Like that uh, we've done an episode for this series with Cadell Evans and the oh, things he was telling me, like resting heart rate of 32 and maximum heart yeah. rate of 187 <laughs> but being able to operate at 180, like that stuff blows my mind. You, oh. you, Freeman, when you were at your peak, in a peak training period, 100%, 100% healthy, tell me about what's a training day involve. Well, what, I think the hardest training sessions, oh, they're not even hard because you just know that you've got to feel a bit of pain. You have to be hurting. <laughs> you have to be a bit mad like that. You what have hurts to oh, in paper. For me it's probably the lactic acid. In like your leg? In the legs and like where you feel like the cement filling them. And <laughs> and, and just that separation between okay, the legs are telling me one thing, but in your mind you have to be relaxed, especially in those closing 80, 90 meters. Yep. Um and like keep the shoulders. It's really hard to be relaxed when your body's, your legs are telling you everything but go. <laughs> it's telling you to just stop and just fall over and die. <laughs> well, not die, but you never feel like you're going to die though. And that's the point. You never feel like your body's not going to cope. I think you get so comfortable with the stress that you put in your body physically huh. that, um, and again, if you match that understanding and that comfort zone of being out of your, Making that pain threshold comfort comfortable and and make and being at home in that space is key to and key to you know walking through the door of success. Really, I mean, athletes wow. know that. Where's your mind then when your legs want to fall off? Where's your head? Like, what? What? How's it? I'm just your doing legs going? doing what I, the coach is telling me to do. Yeah, it's it's just always that intellectual space. It's not so much engaging in what the body's telling you. And Kurt Fernley is a great example too. Like he'll often talk about how the mind says something but the body's saying something else. And and the greats can really have those out-of-body experiences where you can and detach yourself from what you physically is going on. Yeah. And it's almost like a disassociation, um, you know, condition. Is it? Well, like <laughs> you almost Elliot see yourself about, running. Well, you sort of just disassociate from the reality a bit in your wow. mind. Yeah, it's powerful. I didn't know there was so much to it. I thought the gun just went and off you go. <laughs> well, in training, you definitely need it's, – it's a bit more complicated than that. Racing's less power, painless unless I've lost. <laughs> now, the Tour de France has just recently finished, so who better to feature in episode 26 of the Howie Games than Australia's only Tour de France winner, Cadell Evans. Hashtag – Athletic freak. 
What, what's your what's your resting heart rate at that point when you're at your peak? Um, so basically, as an endurance cyclist, you're in a constant state of overtraining. So it will always be sitting ten or fifteen beats uh, above what it is. Yeah. And um, I didn't have a super low heart rate, but it would drop below forty. Oh, 35, 40. 35, but also, 40. you're talking to a person who has a great sensitivity to their body just by, yeah. I could manipulate it emotionally and with breathing and, and reduce it down to 32 or something. And, and how long are you like redlining or whatever in a Tour de France stage when you're trying to get up the up to who is? How, um, how long are you at your maximum output? Yep, so we would be, what well, we would be at threshold, and I had a great ability as a rider to sit at my limit and in the red so to speak above threshold for long periods of time and um okay so what's a long period is it a minute a half an hour is it hour hour and a half (laughs) for the entire climb for the entire climb or two climbs cadell evans next thursday on the howie games kathy freeman again in a moment but first now back to kathy freeman okay the lead up to sydney 2000 which is i would have thought now a small part of your life but it is still a, a massive platform. part. Well, well, it's a <laughs> massive part of Australian life still. And I, I love that. I'm getting used to it. <laughs> well, I, I was talking to Ange Postacoglu in the first series of Howie's Games and I, and I said that there was three things uh, as uh, growing up that are stuck in my mind sporting-wise. Mm. One was when the Socceroos qualified for the World Cup. Up mm. in Sydney, they beat Uruguay. The second as a young man was watching um, John Bertrand and Australia 2 win the America's Cup. And the third was watching you win an Olympic gold medal. They're, they're the three clearest oh. sporting moments I have. Hence the fact to sit now with you and chat about mm. it is it mm. blows my mind. You must yeah. have so many memories of that. But tell me about the yeah, yeah. lead up. A couple of yeah, months yeah. before Sydney where you could not turn on the television or d- open the paper without <laughs> seeing you in there somewhere. I don't know how people did it. Well, I, <laughs> People don't know how you did it. Like the pressure on you. Oh, it's easy for me. It was harder for everyone else putting up with me. Was it? Was it? So how did you deal? How did you deal with before we get to the athletic side? How did you deal with the pressure of being the home hero in yeah. your home games? Oh, that's not a hard question. In fact, you know, folks have often tried to understand it. It's not that hard to understand because I loved it. You loved I it. I loved my running, and I loved everything about. Um, being a potential champion and being a champion. And that's the difference. I think people uh, who are unsure crack under pressure. And I think those who know exactly what they want to do and who exactly who they are, um, I'm, I'm not a David Bowie, but he's a, <laughs> he's a perfect example. Mm. You know, he was free to be who he was. He went to places not many people went to. He was unafraid. And I guess I'm not your athletics, David Bowie, clearly. I don't have a lightning across my face. No, no, no. But you're a hero and that was one of his songs. Yeah, there you go. There we go. No, but the point I'm trying to make is that when you, um, you know, I I wanted to be a champion. I wanted to be an Olympic champion and I didn't really care about the the goings on around. In my heart and with all of my soul, I... I was ready and I want. I was ready, willing and, and I was very able. A week before, did you think you'd win? I think you've got to have a very quiet um, confidence. I think, I mean, you know, you look at some of these boxers, you know, like Mal mm. Dean's, you know, you know, he's a bit more different or even, you know, maybe he's 
role modeling himself on Ali. I've never asked him myself, but you know what he's like away from the camera, though. He's a he's quiet, very different person. Yeah, very different. different person. But um, I sometimes wish Australia would see that side of him. Well, maybe one day we will. I hope so. Where and um. Whereas I didn't feel like I didn't have to put on any sort of play into any particular persona. I was just, you know me. I, yeah. Um, but I'm, I am I had a deadly sense of self-belief. And I'd go to, the, to another level and say a deadly sense of self-conviction, Howie, where you can say whatever you want, you can do whatever you want, but you're not going to touch me. You're not going to – no one could ever get into this – sacred space, you know, that only I only I'm allowed in. It's really strange. I once had a conversation with um my other foundation CEO and it's kind of a case of being like the like being the only person in the world. Like you really do live your life like you are the only person in the world. Wow. Like it's so strange. So crazy. Yeah, because most people would think you're gonna get crushed under the pressure, but talking yeah. to you it wasn't even a issue. Oh, look, the pressure, it's interesting. Debbie Flanoff-King says says the same thing. The pressure that athletes place on themselves and not maybe only if, you know, I don't know how many folks can relate to this, but the pressure you put on yourself compared to the pressure that others put on you, it's there's no comparison. Even when it's a whole country. No. No, <laughs> there's no comparison because, um, I mean, what's going to matter the most? Your own your own words or somebody else's words. I mean, you know, it's it's really pure performance in this particular context does come down to being completely and utterly self-absorbed mm. and not selfish but just only the interests that matter the most are yours. Well, so. and, and the pressure that you obviously you weren't feeling uh, was ramped up I, when uh, you lit the Olympic I, torch. I like must that. have felt it. Well, obviously I felt the pressure but in a good way, not in a way that most people think. So when do they tell you? Tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, by the way, we've got a little roll for you on the opening ceremony. You know, if you might just uh, flick a switch and get the whole thing underway. That was, yeah, that was about at least six months, four to six months beforehand. Did you tell anyone? I did. I, I broke my promise to Coatesy. Uh, John, John Coates. Coates from the AOC. So he, Bla- just, he says we want you to light the... Yeah, he, he says... <laughs> wow. I still remember the look on his face. <laughs> he got... <laughs> Had to make a. It just got quiet. I was like, okay, what's going on now? <coughs> when he asked me to, and um, he said, yeah, we'd be honoured if you could, yeah, like the Colton. And I thought I, I thought I, I thought I misheard the. I thought I misheard what I heard. I thought um, and it sort of took me a little while to to register because you know I'm in the throes of you know. I'm here having a nice salad and, you know, I'm wearing our <laughs> life. Nice salad. Come <laughs> and, on, Freeman. Have a listen to this. And we, no, it was a nice sunny day in LA. And, I was in America. Yeah, because we were training at UCLA course, yeah. away and getting ready and enjoying the summer. And and I, had, I, had not, I didn't know. Anyway, so, and I just said, look, if you change your mind, then that's fine too because I truly felt really on it, I really, really, I mean, even to have just maybe have been shortlisted, it yeah. would have been a, a huge honour. It's a tremendous honour. A tremendous honour. And so when, <laughs> it's almost laughable um, when I think about the memory, but I graciously, of course, I graciously accepted. I was incredibly humbled. But then the next second is like, okay, I'm, you know, the focus was, was always about training and getting just staying, getting fit and being healthy. Who'd you tell? 
I told, I ended up telling, obviously, obviously my ex-husband who was with me at the time, and I told my two training partners. Right. I didn't tell my coach because I just thought, I, instinct told me, <laughs> my instinct told yeah. me, yeah, otherwise. He's going to say, well, you've got to focus on what you're it's doing. Gonna, so so, so you go, you're going into the stadium. <laughs> ah, Yes. The world is watching. You're within the Australian group. What, do you just sneak off to the side or what happens? Oh, for the opening ceremony, that was an incredible night. Oh, it was incredible. You're obviously there. Yeah, I was. Wasn't that amazing? It was. Girls were crying. Yes, everyone was. Before we even got into on on the track, we could feel this incredible So the athletes around you were... Crying there was Alison and Verity, Lee Nolan. Uh, I think those two are the ones I remember just bawling. Um, and I was just sort of knowing what, just I was sort of ready. I had to be kind of ready. Anyway, it was when um, I outwardly was sort of playing it quite cool. <laughs> and then um, Olivia Newton John and, and John Farnham came up on stage, and the darkness came in, the lights were down, and then someone's come up for me, you know, with the earpiece and, you know, Come on, with the guy, and then they whisked me out, and then someone saw that occur, and some gentleman said, "Oh, I knew it! I knew it!" Yes, catch out of the bag. Yeah, so uh, and then they, I went in under the stadium, got changed. It felt like I had ten, an army of ten, twenty people surrounding me in that rude white <laughs> suit that you had on. Yeah. Yes, nice. <laughs> and um. And, and do they put like an earpiece? Yeah, in had it, had it, yeah, had that earpiece in, and then we had we had tech, we had difficulties in apostrophe <laughs> for apostrophe marks difficulties even before I left the room because one of the headphones wasn't working, and ah. as it turned out, I got to the bottom of I walked out, or oh, you know, it's not really quite engaging in the moment because <laughs> again, you know, I'm thinking. I need to race and, I'll, you know, that's the priority. Mm. But it was such an honour, Howie, to receive my the flame from my childhood, you know, someone who I looked up to, Debbie Flanoff-King, and, and Boyley, of course, was there, and Shirley and De- um, Dawny and uh, Marlene, I believe, Matthew. So, yeah, and... Uh, is the crowd... That was... Is the crowd just surrounding you with noise at this stage when it's announced who it's going to be? Because it was the, the secret that everyone wanted to know <laughs> the answer right. to. I think that I, from what I can remember, there was a premature call. Like right. they said my name before he should have, I think. Before I you were know. out there. Yeah, before I was, I was – it was too early because the flame hadn't quite received, reached me then. Okay. But I, can't, I don't know. I can't remember clearly. So who handed it to you? Debbie Flynn of King. What would she say? She just gave me a little hug and, yeah, she was very sweet. She was very sweet. And then, of course, I've ascended and only to be, yeah, it was lovely. The the stadium were incredible because everyone had those light blue fluorescent, you know, lamps. And yeah, that's right. It was surreal. And um, it was even more surreal. Yeah. Do you want me to continue on? Yes. Yeah, well, even more surreal. Continue. <laughs> when, when the... um. <laughs> Well, yeah, when the um, I reached the second, I think it was one of the, yeah, the stage bit, and li- li- walked across the water, did the whole magical thing, and and I had more fears about falling in because <laughs> the shoes were brand new and they had to put masking tape on there to make me feel more secure, but I did not feel secure. 
And I thought, oh, anyway, I got through that part, didn't fall in the water, lit the cauldron. It was all amazing. It's all lit up. It's come up. I'm in the middle. I'm looking beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) I will say that. You did. You looked amazing. And um, so I've turned as it's gone to further ascend and it's just the thing is just stopped. It's, you know, this whole... Kathunk and the whole... Kathunk? The whole... I didn't hear a kathunk, but it sure should have been because then the whole edge of the discs, you know, the big Stop giant moving. disc just wobbled. It just, and I'm standing there facing this wobbling bloody thing. <laughs> With the world watching. Well, I didn't really need... I didn't think too much about that. I think if I thought too much about mm. the numbers and the stats like oh. you media types do, mm. I would have, who knows. So it had stopped at this stage? Yeah, are it just they, are stopped they speaking and wobbled. Now? Well, it stopped and wobbled mm. and then and then I remember the conductor, looking across to the conductor and he, he I could see his face look up and the Channel 7 cameraman's down there and like, like the, you know, those... Like that. The low shot. And, and I was, yeah, and he's looked up. <laughs> and so I've looked across at the conductor who's obviously realising something's wrong and the, looked down at him and he's obviously realised that something's gone wrong. And then the conductor just goes like this to keep the music going, like with the <laughs> baton in his hand and he could t- <laughs> <laughs> oh. and um, But the earpiece eventually, the voice eventually said, Oh, uh, we've got a slight, I can remember it like clear, like we've got a slight technical hitch, nothing that can't be fixed. Right. And so I, in the back of my mind, um, yeah, I know that this is just my, not my responsibility. <laughs> uh, I'll just, yeah, what are you, yeah, I'll just wait, I'll just wait. And, you know. Smile. Common sense told me you don't look like anything's wrong, don't. You know, make it obvious. Like, you know, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I've never been in this situation, and I'm yeah. tipping not many of our listeners have either. I, so but, you um, smiled, and it, it was worked. just yeah. Look around, raise, salute the crowd, and there wasn't. It was simple direction, but it, yeah. And then um, oh, I think it was pretty soon after that initial. We've got a slight technical hitch, nothing that can't be fixed. There was um, a bit of, yeah, I remember the F, you know, a bit of carrying on going on and an expletive word was dropped. Yeah. The one that starts with F. Yeah. And it was, so, yeah, not ideal. But no, you know, it all worked out in the end. Wouldn't wish it upon anyone to be in that situation because if it was my kid... Things the perspective changes when you become a parent. Like if it'd been my kid, oh my god. But um, yeah, it was tricky, tricky, tricky. But it worked out. Let's get to the morning of the race, the biggest race of the Olympics in Sydney. Perex already, I can remember it. Her departing Sydney airport and a storm of media, and she she wasn't fit or she was. So when when you hear that she's out, is this? I was I was really sad. I right. was actually really. My initial reaction was, "Oh, that's too bad," because I would have loved the, to have had the chance to have raced her, mm. and of course to have beaten her. But I, I'll never have that chance again, and that's one thing that really gets to me. Always. If you're a first-time listener to the How Games, well, you're a loser. <laughs> <laughs> Stick to the script, penguin. I'm more of an 
natural orator. Off the cuff style. Sure you are. If you're a first time listener to the Howie Games, be sure to check out the back catalogue. It rocks. Check, check out, out some, some of these, these names. names. Oh, what about this? Welcome to the Howie Games. Greg Norman. Good morning, Howie. How you doing, buddy? It's great to be on your show. Danny Green, how are you, Green? Good, thanks, Howie. How you going, mate? Michael Clark, g'day, Clarky. Thanks, Howie. Thanks for having me. Hello, Welcome mate. to the Howie Games. Thanks Adam for Gilbert. telling me it was switched on. This is a treat for me. Ange Postacoglu, the great Trevor Hendy. Mick doing Brad Hodge. He's a gun, my man, Hodgie. Dennis Cometti. I'm trying to have a good time. Jim Cassidy. Woohoo! Wayne Beach. Let the games begin. Pete Siddle. Pete, welcome to the Howie Games. No worries, Howie. Thanks for having me on. Well, Ricky Ponting, I know. I know you've wanted to be on the Howie Games for a long time. Can you get your opportunity? <laughs> Fevalenko, Brendan. Hello. Oh, yeah, so this is uh, <laughs> Kevin Peterson. Welcome to the Howie Games. How are you? Yeah, I've heard a lot about the Howie Games. Darren Sammy, the champion. Hey, what's up, Howie? What about that for a lineup? Please don't forget to subscribe to the Howie Games. And tell your crew about us. Okay, back to my girl, Kathy Freeman. You wake up on the morning yeah. of the biggest race of your life. Yeah. You get up and have a couple of crumpets or what do you, how did the whole thing start? I, I like crumpets. Right. That morning, I can't remember what I had for breakfast. I remember um, that my room, I was rooming with Tamsin Lewis. Okay. And she was great to room with and I... Um, because bef- between the opening ceremony and the dive competition, I had some time. Yep. So, but the morning of the day of the race, I was pretty. It was like no other day, really. It was pretty relaxed. I was you're relaxed. I don't know if I'm a freak. I think. No, you're a freak. I, you can be relaxed on that day. Yeah. Of no. All days. Well, see, I, I think, and I learnt this in 1991. Like the most relaxed athletes are the ones who are often the best. Yes, but uh, I couldn't agree more. But yeah, still, yeah. to be able to put yourself in that frame of mind is what the 99.9 percent of people can't do. Oh, I, it's good not to overthink things and analyse too much and it's good to put distance between yourself and information that you know may rock you a bit. And I really don't think it's it's really that simple. I think, um, yeah, and just allow more space in your life for mm. fun and laughter and light and lightness and and in that way, if you're happier, you just have you able you have more chance of succeeding. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and I think sometimes energy gets a bit too dense, and if it gets a bit too dense, and and the other thing too, Howie, is that I I read my body's cues. If my shoulders are a bit raised, or if my froze, if I'm you know a bit frowning a bit too much, or or if something is not feeling right, that like for example, I didn't want to hear my name mentioned on the TV again. Off it goes. Like, um, <laughs> rather read a magazine or, um, or. Like, it's same with, like, not just with the pressure of Sydney 2000. In any competitive situation, I'd walk into, a, um, you know, where you go to get massages and things like that, you know, physios, masseuses mm. and all, you know, the medical people. If athletes are a bit too negative and they're rubbing me up the wrong way, I'll put distance between myself and that athlete or that person. It's yep. It's funny. It's just well, it's, it's just you, my nature. It's you being back in that bubble that you were yeah, talking about. So you, you arrive at the track, just tell us from there. I don't want to interrupt you. Tell you us. can interrupt. Oh. I, I remember 
Because I was like really like treated like a superstar. I had bodyguards and you bloody were a superstar. That's why. <laughs> no, I don't know. But See I bodyguards. Me like one. Oh, you know, with the tinted windows and the black van, and anyone think I was Kim Kardashian? <laughs> <laughs> no, I would never compare myself. To... <laughs> why does that? Oh, I think you compare anyway. reasonably favourably in that situation. <laughs> but um. It was definitely, um, once I got to the track, I'm fine. I'm in my natural element. Yeah. I'm like um, a surfer out on the water or I'm like a bird in the sky. Like, is that one way to put it? I don't know. But I'm like easy. It's easy. It's really easy, Howie, because I've, I knew I'd done the training. Mm. I knew I was fit. I knew I was ready mentally, emotionally. Everything was lined up. Home crowd advantage. I wanted to... I wanted to, you know, make everything that I'd been through and my, you know, the that continuation of the journey I'd been on, including my sisters, yeah, including um, my my family and my ancestors, as deep as what strange that sounds. This was simply a, a continuum of all of that, and here in this little one moment, it was. I wouldn't call it a walk in the park, but it was certainly the most natural. Space for me to move, to be in, and to move through because I'd I'd done everything up until now. There was not much more to do except like get on with it, really. And I remember the routine didn't change, the instruction hadn't changed. Um, I mean, typically I may have body my body physically was probably running amok in terms of oh, I've got a hamstring niggle and, you know, I'd call Gary, my masseuse, and he'd give me that extra attention. But that was to be expected and athletes expect the nerves to kick in, you know, running to the toilet every five minutes or feeling like throwing up or whatever. For me, it's always been just double, you know, triple checking things through, Mm. over. Um, Did a walk with my training partner, um, did my uh, two-lap warm-up, stretches, drills, and it usually used to – this is how thorough I was and meticulous. Usually it took me an hour to warm up before training. Before races, it's an hour and a half. So An hour and a half warm-up. Yeah, just to settle in mentally, be clear, um, and just – it's good to get a read on on how I'm feeling. And and, and you can see the stadium from the warm-up track and it's – a little bit, oh, wow, you know, God, they're loud over there. <laughs> you know, that sort of, Jesus, you know, oh, my God, yeah. It's, and, um, but it gets really interesting because, you know, you do your run-throughs and you, you move, you loosen up and you feel good and or you feel bad, but that's part of it too because, you know, but then the adrenaline and the, uh, the, the sense of occasion is, you know, hello, four years, hello. So... You're on a high before you get to that that point where okay, I'm in the f- I'm in the I won't swear I'm in, the, I'm in the call room and and that's where you start to feel really vulnerable, mate. You start to like apparently Carl Lewis said something to me I couldn't even remember because we're five meters away from where athletes descend into the call room off the warm up track and um, that's where you, the fear. <laughs> That's where real the emotions become sharper and more powerful than ever. And I'm sure competitors, we can all relate to it. Performers, you know, those moments mm. before you go, you, you're on your own, the coach is left behind at the track, and the final last words are said. <laughs> what and, were the final last words? Oh, I thought, I, um, I think um, not a lot, just, 
I can't even remember. All I remember was the, the sentiment and the collective feeling of uh, a calm, I think is really the word. I'd, I've never really described these moments in the way I am now. So, yeah. Um, but I remember there was a moment with Seuss, my training partner and my coach, and quite hush sort of feeling. And and it's in that moment where you feel like you're a lamb going off to slaughter. And I mean that <laughs> wholeheartedly. Wow. Like you, you're so vulnerable and it's like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't say that out loud or you don't think it. You just body knows it. It's it's that, again, you know. And um, so you could you feel, I felt scared. But that's a, it's not um, in the scared feeling of where everything's falling apart. It's a feeling of, all right, this is it now. There's no turning back feeling. And we, you know that feeling? Yep. And so it's, um, then you get to the bloody call room and every step moving forward, you know you're moving forward to a point where, you know, this is it. This is, <laughs> this is everything. Oh, this is a moment I've been waiting for, I've been born to do, and I've lived my whole life for this freaking thing <laughs> for this one from for this night for this moment and um the core room is everybody's quiet sitting there with seven other girls and we're all shitting we're all scared mm. we're all scared and mm. we're all nervous and we're all anxious and we all know that this is it but we can't say much some girls sit there with their headphones on some move around the place stretch drink water i probably would have I, I always tended to just sit there and shake my legs and keep the legs limbered and making sure I'm feeling relaxed and very clear. And then you know, you know, I was a, a veteran Olympian. Remember third time round, um, second time in the final. So I knew I was expecting the intensity. I was very comfortable with all of these feelings that were coming up and it was cool, it was fine. Cause bottom line is once you know you get out there, you know you're gonna be fine. And and it's that, and um and I was speaking to athletes recently because I'm doing some work through the VIS and it's just a matter of experience, you know, and um and embracing it a bit and just holding it and being in it and not trying to control it because that's where I think the tension comes in and people lose a plot. Mm. <laughs> we all we've all been there, um, but like walking towards in between. The call room near the warm up track to the stadium. It get now that gets really interesting because you know I, I found the call room pretty interesting <laughs> at this point. I'm not sure where you're going, but oh, I found well, the last bit pretty interesting. <laughs> well, it's sort of like you know you because you can't run away and you can't go and bury yourself. You can't have that luxury like I did maybe four months previous, where I had a little panic attack that lasted for three or four seconds. A very private moment. <laughs> Well, I wanted to, you know, yeah, oh, fuck this. I can't do that. <laughs> Why where, am I doing where, this? <laughs> Excuse my that? language. Where was that? Oh, that would have been, oh, well, you know, I had really bad laryngitis and I had a really bad head cold. Um, oh, my God. I think it was only two weeks. And I remember my cats were keeping me company and I was t- sort of having a <laughs> conversation with my cats. <laughs> They weren't talking about, back, were they? No, no. Because at that point, I'm getting <laughs> oh, concerned too. No, but... So this is two weeks before the Olympics. Oh, no. I, but I, I remember the last time I was in my head and feeling slightly funny... Right. ...was when I was sick. But the I think that three or four second point um, moment was months, months and months before. And what was that three or four seconds? Oh, I just wanted to not be here. 
and it didn't last for very long. Mm. I think it's very natural for the body to consider other options. Mm. <laughs> so, because I, you know, I still had a very acute awareness, um, how of the situation, of the reality that my life was. Just because I act all la 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 and nonchalant doesn't mean I'm, I'm not aware. Because you have to be aware to be integrated. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. Bottom line, but um. But yeah, walking towards the stadium, you know, it's like this. It's like a. It's it's really quite a formidable sight walking towards a full Olympic goddamn stadium in your home country, and you are the one, and you're going to win. But um, <laughs> I wouldn't have. I don't think you know. I, again, I I I was determined. It's always on my terms. I do it because I love it. I want to be here. I want to do this. I'm ready, and. Yeah, went through the motions. Um, they lead you out single file at, still at this point. And uh, I was in four, wasn't I? Lane five or six. I can't remember. Six, I think. Lane six. And um, and it's a bit of a surreal situation because you're so focused and relaxed, but you, you feel like it's a dream. That's the best way I can describe it. And then it was in those metres five metres before you actually put your foot on the track that I felt like everything just turned into a... It was just a... Um, it was the strangest experience I've ever had. People... One person said something to me, but I kind of... I didn't hear them. Like... And Tiff, interestingly enough, she she was part of an experience once where she was metres away screaming out and I didn't hear her. But anyway, I got out onto the track and... And then it was a case of, oh, okay, business as usual type mentality. But, and there's this amazing trust and this blind faith in your own nature in knowing that you're going to do, you, you know, and I, you're going to do what you've got to do and you're going to do what you know. And the competitive instinct, well, that was never a, that was never a concern. No. So, and the rest, it was just a case of getting on with it. So, well, well, before you get on with it, and I'm sure you've heard, you blow me away, by the way. The, the, the in-depth description that you've given me of what that's like is uh, blowing my socks off. You, I think you, I'm ready. I'm really re- – it's good. So thanks – I like you, Howie. So oh, I well. think – and I trust you, so I think that shows. Well, thank you. Um, that's, <laughs> that's the nicest thing anyone said to me in the last 10 years, I reckon. But <laughs> oh. I, um, I, I'm sure – thanks, Cathy. I really appreciate it. I do that. like you, yeah. I, I, think, I think you must have I heard a, a million of these stories. I, I was there working – as an assistant volleyball director. So I had a pass that could get into volleyball and that's it. Right. And uh, I abused that pass like no man has ever <laughs> abused an Olympic pass in the history of the Olympics. <laughs> but when it got to your race, I saw I saw Thorpe and I saw the relay when they beat Hall. I saw all sorts of things. Tatiana was jumping on uh, your yes. and I as well. I, I got to the Olympic Stadium and my approach was to show the pass, pretend I was talking on the phone, find the oldest official I could find and just breeze by. But your night, Catherine, there was no breezing by and I tried every yeah. single gate and I couldn't get in. Yeah. Um, and I thought, oh, I'm not going to see this seminal moment. And I, and I was leaving the stadium shattered and, and a bloke walked out with a wheelie bin and he was obviously part of the, the uh, cleaning crew. And as he walked out, the door, uh, a side door was closing. And old Howie snuck in that <laughs> side door 
And then once I was in, all anyone looked at was you had media on your pass. So I thought, I'm going to go up the highest seat. And they said, oh, no, media's down this way. So I went a bit lower. No, media's down this way. Media's down this way until I'm sitting on the finish line. Oh, my God. Five rows back with my camera, which I still have a photo of your foot in frame, and that's all. (laughs) And these guys with massive lenses around me. And it's, it's... Wow. I, I, I've never told that to, to, to get to tell you that story. I'm, and I'm, I'm sure people come up and tell you stories all the time. Uh, the bloody volleyball pass, you beauty. So I'm sitting there. I'm waiting for the gun to go off. You're around another part of the track waiting for the gun to go off. And probably uh, a little bit more in, um, focuses on you at this stage, it must be said. Oh, that's so – I love that story. I just um, – yeah, no, I do. I really love that story because it's that, that that sort of story. Your stories that is uh, reminds me of. Um, it's nice to that I kind of was part of your story. Oh, you, you were the way. part. So. I, and I told myself. I remember telling myself, "Don't watch the big screen because you could be at home watching it on TV. Watch oh, her run yes. live on the track." Oh. And yeah. I, to be honest, when you had 120 minutes to go, I thought, oh, hang on, this is not going the way I expected. <laughs> but you, the, the gun's about to fire. You're on track oh, now. I've got a very – oh, okay. Well, see, the way I used to race against those athletes who I knew I had to be um, – like the intensity sometimes varies. Like if you're one of these sorts of athletes like me who was content to win and then you have someone like, say, Thorpe who had to blow everyone out of the water, huh. that's not that's just not who I am. I don't know if it's because I'm nicer and I'll take it up with Thorpe later where most of my marg- winning margins are very similar. Yes. Like I think it's just – I've just never been one to um, – Race the yeah well that's exactly right without blowing my own horn it's just not who I am and it's a bit annoying because it does sort of yeah affect my performance in terms of the time but I'm um, hey I'm an Olympic champion it's fine it is fine <laughs> yes yes it's, it's fine, fine. <laughs> but yeah it, that's another thing that burns a bit away at me is that I just I know I could have run faster than what I actually have but that's fine <laughs> um. Yeah, I know. You, you don't look at that night and think I could have run faster, do you? I actually crossed the line, looked across at the time, 49.1. I was immediately disappointed because I would have loved to have run 48. And I remember looking at Mori, good old Mori Plant, who was with the B, BBC, and I just remember leaning over with my hands were on my knees and just shaking my head and thinking, oh. yeah. So that head shake was disappointment at your time? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was not. Ha- I was. Uh, uh, mind you, look, anyone in that situation, you know, it's a mighty amazing. It's a mighty occasion. It is. But um, yeah, I wasn't. <laughs> I don't mean to sound like a Debbie Downer, but no. yeah, it's, it's just who I am. Well, at, so, at, what, at what stage of the race did you think I've won? Um. Well, I see. Again, I I knew. I knew I had it pretty covered for I'd I'd had it covered for a while because I'd raced those girls you know over a number of years. What's a while? Two hundred meters, one hundred fifty meters. I'm talking four meters. years. Like right. you know, camp Olympic campaigns aren't just about a season. No, but about at what stage on the track? Oh, on did the you track. Think, this, oh, I've got I can, this. This is well, my race. Well, 
my confidence was high for years beforehand, but certainly on the track that night, probably right from the start. But in terms of what you the people what you guys saw, I probably asserted my dominance in the last bit where yeah. I went from being being back in the field to first and the, pulled away from where I was with my little camera <laughs> at the bend I was like oh wow I'm not sure Kathy's going to win this. I was surprised nobody forged forced it pushed it a bit right um if you've ever seen me run in stall in 96 mm. I love chasing I love being a hunter and I love mowing down I love the fight I love digging deep I love the grit um, I was surprised that <clears throat> Lorraine Graham from Jamaica, who got the silver, didn't go ahead. But in that moment, and I know, I read it, people are hesitant because no one really, really competed against me. Nobody really believed that they could beat me. And I think that's that's just life. That's just, yep. you know, competitors read their competitors. It's just... That's you back in 96. Yeah. Oh, but even in 2000, I... I when I look back at the footage, no one really believed that they could win and I think it shows because the pace at which I was running when I was back in the field was was not it wasn't it shouldn't have really been that way. For a real contest, there should have been more of a fight earlier on in that right. stage of the race. If you does that make sense? It does. I understand Where it would exactly have been, what you mean. They yeah. needed to push you harder. Yeah, early. yeah, exactly. But that wasn't the case, and that's one of the reasons why it looks like I've come from behind to the front. Where you had it in control. Yeah, I really did. So that that feeling of disappointment. Yeah. Um, that I've never heard you speak about. No, uh, no. It's been a few years, so I'm feeling all right about everything. 17, <laughs> nearly seventeen years. Oh yeah, man. Uh, at what point does that feeling of disappointment change, or did it never change? No. On, on, that, on that moment. Oh no, I I um I remember I would have loved to have gotten forty eight. Yep. <clears throat> but um, I still enjoyed. See, that's the other thing. I, I've not been one to smell the roses and to success, to really enjoy success. And even when I work with people who've known me for years, it's just probably been a bit of a problem because I probably would have enjoyed myself more through my running career. Mm. And I may, yeah, I may have been a different person oh, straight after that race in Sydney, you know, like doing a Sully Pierce and, you know, but like, maybe that's just not who I am. I don't know. But I'm... Um, but the victory lap was wonderful. It was wonderful. You know, I got to again fulfill my my vision. My my dream was to carry again both both Australian flags. Yes, and we know what I mean by that. Hundred percent, we do. And um, and yeah, it was lovely. But the victory lap's nice. <laughs> it's, it is. It's nice. It's hard to take it all in though. But the part I enjoyed the most was seeing my family. So my mum, my stepdad, my three brothers. Um, and my nephew and, yeah, so that was – and seeing my mother try and make her way onto the track was What she say to pretty you? Pretty crazy. When you, can you remember what she said? I was too loud, yeah. Howie. It was – I couldn't even – when my mate, Donna Fraser from England, who got fourth, when she's got legs like Perak. They're both six foot yeah. and legs, oh, my God, up to the ceiling. And, and Donna's um, – Let down to try and talk to me because we trained together that season, and she's she went to say something in my ear, I couldn't hear. That you saw, you you remember how loud it was? It was was, insane. And the bit that will forever be with me 
Um, yeah. Is the national anthem because oh. I, 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 in my head, how many was there? A hundred and maybe a hundred and thirteen thousand. But you know, we go to the footy and there's eighty thousand, and yeah. people might mumble away at the national anthem. People, yes. were, I'm talking Australian. Yeah. Like people were at the top, and I, I can't guess sing. I'm sorry, I've done that. <laughs> people were yeah. singing at the top oh. of their voice. I've never heard oh. the anthem sung like. I must admit, I have to. Yeah, I totally agree. When I put myself back on that dais, I remember actually. Thinking, wow! I can actually hear every. I can yeah. actually hear every word that's being every word. So loud. By and it was amazing. Oh, yeah. What's it like to talk about it? And and yeah, sorry. What's it like to talk about it now? It feels all right. It feels like you're right back there. <laughs> well, I, I know we're way over time, and I'm looking at James because we, you, you need to get out of here. But um, mm, oh. I feel really. I'm ready to tell. I'm ready to talk about it. I think in the past, Howie, and mm. you've been, we've been around. We have. I was never ready because it, it's pretty overwhelming. You used to just gloss over it. Yeah, I, I was, didn't know how this would go. I thought it might be the same. Yeah, no, I've um, it's been pretty, whew, a journey. Well, life well lived so far, and I just feel like that. Even that one night, not a lot. I'm, you know, that's. If I, if anyone can experience something like that, just a bit of it in a lifetime, then they've lived a life that's pretty good. But I just feel so overcome by that one night. It's just, it's really, and I mean overcome. It's like <laughs> I feel like I can move into into that memory now and actually be in it. You know, enjoy it and and enjoy it because um, well, I not only um. Owe it to myself, but one day I'm going to have to sit down with Ruby because she'll want to know, Mum, why does everyone know you? You can just <laughs> say, well, just have a listen to the Howie Games and uh, like, you'll be right, Rubes. Like, Mummy, why does you, Kathy Freeman, why do people go, you know? Yeah. So it's it's a, um, a progression, a natural, pro- it's, we've reached that point now where I've got to. <laughs> well, it's a historic moment in Australian sport, one of the most. And people of my generation, that will be the defining moment How? in sport for me, ever. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, phew, you know, you know, you just do something you love and the, wow, wow, you know, the next thing, <laughs> you well, know. The next thing you're a hero and you've got a foundation and you can inspire other people due to the fact you could run fast. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, if someone said said that to me as a five or ten-year-old, I well, don't know. I just don't know what, what I would have, how I would have reacted. Probably the same as... What I am now, actually, yeah. sort of a bit, you know. I I, 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 I want to keep this going for like another three hours, but I, I know you guys have got to go. Um, so uh, as you know, listening to some of the Howie games, my kids, I've got uh, the Pickle, who's seven years of age. Pickle. And my son, who's five, who people know that listen, woke up five, two years ago and said, Dad, my name's no longer Mac, it's Big Penguin. So he answered okay. the name of the Big Penguin. Okay, I love that. So they, I always tell them about... Um, who I'm interviewing, and my daughter was fascinated by your story. She just doesn't remember. She was uh, she wanted to know about how you lit the flame, and I was telling her about Barcelona oh. with the arrow, and and then that you went up there, and there was a bit of a delay, and uh, they both had a question for you. I'm going to start with the penguin. Penguin. This is the question that the big penguin has for you, Catherine Freeman. <laughs> Hi, Catherine. Big penguin here. Are you as fast as Usain Bolt? <laughs> It depends on if we're walking or sprinting. 
I reckon over 400 you might still get him. Over 100. Oh, I'm definitely slower than Usain Bolt. Well, that's what the penguin was. Penguin? The pickle, which I'm really going to enjoy now after everything you've told me. This is... um. This is the pickle story. So she's seven. She's got a big moment coming up in two weeks' time. Oh. Hi, Catherine Pickle here. I've got school cross country coming up. Do you have any advice? If you do, it would be great. Hey, Pickle. I want to wish you all the best and have fun. I think it's really important. Make sure... I, I suggest that if you get really nervous, darling, take three deep breaths, like great, great big breaths in and out. Um, make sure you do exactly what your coach does, and when you're in the race, if you feel like you got you you want to compete, go for it. I can't believe you're sitting here giving my seven year old daughter advice, <laughs> which she will go back and listen to that, and she'll go, "Oh yeah, Dad," and I'll be like, "Now you got to realise where this advice is coming from." Um, I know you've got to go. I don't really have any more questions for you except to say, is there anything else? that you would like to say. People are going to listen to this and it's going to blow them away. But I, I don't know. You, Where are you today, I guess, is the you're oh, a mum, you're feel a wife. I'm a, I'm a wife. I'm a mum. I'm still my mum's kid daughter and my brother's big sister <laughs> and my older brother's little sister, someone's niece and nephew, but uh, niece. But um, I guess, yeah, I, you know, I, I really do feel like, you know, being 44, things happen. Things move around a bit in in terms of reflection, and um, you know, and it impacts on how you, you know you just you, you talk about your experiences and stories. I'm in a space where I um, it's no longer it's you know it's no longer just about me holding back. I suppose Howie, and it's more about um, just being tr- true now, and and you know, the Sydney Olympic experience is an important. A event for you know, for folks and yeah, I've got to um be show my happiness and gratitude for it. So because I have a feeling it's gonna be around for a long time. So, Catherine, I can't thank you enough for sitting down here. You've been beyond what I thought this conversation would ever be. People are gonna. You're blown away this episode, and all I can say is thank you for having a chat with us about no, it. No, thanks for being you. You're just a nice person, Howie. Good on you, mate. As you. Thank you, Kathy <laughs> Freeman, what an absolute star. By the way, Kathy is an ambassador for the upcoming Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast. You can get tickets now at gc2018.com. Jump on the website, and all the tickets are there. Thanks, as always, to MJ, our fearless producer, who is back in Season 2. The kid has game. Until next Thursday... Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Listener.